I'm Bryce Williams, Vice President of Mind-Body Medicine at Blue Shield of California, and your host today for this episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue. Joining me today is my friend and colleague, Gary Mendel. Gary is the founder and CEO of Shatterproof, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to reversing the addiction crisis in the United States. In this episode, we'll hear from Gary about his story, why he launched Shatterproof, and how we can protect our families and loved ones from this devastating disease. Use of alcohol, drugs, and the overdoses that come with them, already high to begin with, have only increased further during COVID-19. So we're fortunate to have Gary with us today to provide his expert insight on turning the tide. Gary, thank you for joining me. Absolutely, you're welcome, Bryce. Looking forward to it. Well, Gary, let's let's dive in right away with the foundations of Shatterproof. Your your work is inspiring, and and our listeners are going to hear more about it. But I also know for you, it's more about academic trends and statistics and what we hear on the news. It, it's it's more personal. Would you mind sharing your journey with our listeners and and why ending the addiction crisis is so important for you? and why you felt motivated to form Shatterproof. Sure, Bryce. Well, unlike yourself and and probably many listening, um, my career was not in healthcare nor nonprofit work. Um, I was in the business world, building a business, raising my family. And my older son, Brian, um, uh, became addicted to drugs and alcohol while he was in high school. And that led to Brian going to eight different treatment programs from age 17 to 25, really working hard. He worked so hard to um, struggle with this disease and work really hard to try to beat it and and recover. Um, But addiction always doesn't work that way. And on October 20th, 2011, I was woken up in the middle of the night by my cell phone ringing and told that, My son, Brian, had just died. Uh, He was 25 years old and he hadn't used a substance in 13 months. And uh, equally tragic, it wasn't just addiction that took my son's life. It was the feeling of shame he had every morning when he opened his eyes. A feeling like an outcast that the history on his computer shows that he woke up that morning researched suicide notes, wrote a note of his own, lit a candle and take his own life alone. And ever since that day, I've always asked the same question. Why did this have to be? And in the months that followed, I really struggled with two questions. One, What could I have done differently as a father to prevent this? And two, what could be done to spare other families of the tragedy my family had suffered? And with those two questions in my mind, I took three months, what I thought would be three months away from my business. And I traveled the country talking to experts. And as I did so, I learned so much that I hadn't known but there was one thing that that rose above everything I learned. And that was that our federal government in the decades prior to my son passing away had provided grants of tens of billions of dollars to researchers all across our country. 
And those researchers had successfully used that funding really well and created wonderful bodies of knowledge, knowledge that had proven to be able to, that if implemented in our healthcare system, in our families, in our communities, programs that would significantly, without any doubt, proven through randomly controlled trials, to significantly reduce the number of our loved ones who ever use drugs and become addicted. A second body of knowledge that had proven, again, without any doubt through randomly controlled trials, that if treatment programs follow certain protocols, those who were addicted and being treated would have success rates comparable to any of our loved ones being treated for most other chronic illnesses. And the third body of knowledge that had proven, again, without any doubt, to significantly reduce that shame and stigma that Brian had felt, which took his life and so many others like him. But when I learned this, I wrote one word on a piece of paper in all capital letters, tragic. And what I meant by that was I learned about all this information that existed, but hardly any of it was being implemented. It was all sitting in peer-reviewed medical journals where the researchers knew all about it, but hardly any of it was being implemented. And seeing all this, what started with a thought of taking three months traveling the country, talking to experts, turned into, okay, what this country needs is an organization, a well-funded nonprofit with no conflicts of interest that would simply take the research that already exists and get it implemented. And if we could do that, hundreds of thousands of lives would be saved every single year. And that was the formation of Shatterproof. I left my business, spent a year and a half building a business plan, and have dedicated the rest of my life to this cause and building out programs and resources that implement the research. And that was the formation of Shatterproof. Thank you for for sharing such a, a personal story. As as a, a father and parent myself, um, my, my heart just goes out to you, and my, my heart breaks just to to hear your hear your journey um but i'm also just so inspired by by what you took from it and 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 what you're doing so so thank you thank you for that um and 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 bryce if i could add on one sentence to that which is it started with what i just discussed and presented but that's not where it is now it started with Brian in my heart. And yes, Brian is still in my heart. But we have hundreds of thousands of people that have now joined with us, including your organization, Blue Shield of California, and hundreds of organizations, hundreds of thousands of people that are joining with us to make this vision a reality of getting this research implemented and saving lives. I appreciate that, Gary. And I I, I feel like I'm, I'm drawn back to that word you wrote down, of tragic and and just kind of turning that around and and what it sounds like you have have tapped into is a groundswell of of similar feeling um, to to be quite honest right if if you know the growth that you're talking about has 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 kind of taken off so could you talk a little bit more about that maybe and, and highlight some of the work uh, you're, you're most proud of sure our work falls into three areas one, transforming the treatment system in the United States. Two, ending the shame and stigma 
And three, giving information to families that they all need, both preventatively to prevent their loved ones from becoming addicted and also related to what do I do if someone is addicted? So let's start with one of those as you suggested. Let's talk about the treatment system. Perfect example. What I learned was there was all this research about what if treatment programs did A, B, and C, patients would remarkably do better. But there was no national, it was not being implemented. So coming from a background in business, the first thing you need is one national standard of care for the treatment of addiction, which exists for every, every most other diseases in the country, but unbelievably did not exist for addiction. So we worked with the lead author of the Surgeon General's report. That was a landmark report coming out in two, that came out in 2016. And we worked with him in the summer and Pew Charitable Trust in the summer of 2017. And we pulled from that report eight principles of care that should be delivered in every treatment program in the United States. We created a draft, we brought together experts in the country, we finalized it, and we published it in November of 2017, eight principles of care for the treatment of addiction that should be in every single treatment program in the United States, whether it's inpatient, outpatient, adult, adolescent, opioids, alcohol, these eight things should be embedded within our healthcare system. That's number one. Number two, we took from that, okay, how do we get this implemented? Pretty basic. Think of a consumer guide to treatment, a consumer guide that exists for everything. You wanna buy a car, you go to consumer guide and you can compare the features of cars. Well, let's create this for the treatment of addiction. And so we, we, we raised 5 million in funding from philanthropy and we built and piloted a quality measurement system, i.e. a consumer guide to treatment um, for the addiction for addiction treatment field and piloted it in six states. We built it over over two and a half years. It launched a year ago, last last July in six states. And I'm thrilled to say the funding ran out at the end of last year and we were able to renew that funding with new funders actually to uh, maintain it in the six states. And then we went out to additional states showing what we now that it was up and running, what we were able to do. And uh, we now have seven new states that we're expanding into. And even more importantly than that, that um, the first six states represented 13% of the United States population. The seven new states are larger. Um, and those with the, the combined 13 states represents 45% of the United States population that this, quality, this consumer guide to treatment will be in. And, um, and actually in California, um, it was a unique model in the sense that in every other of the 13 states, it's either a state funding it or one large national pair. And California was unique. We brought together your organization, Blue Shield of California and the state into a partnership to do it together. And we gather the information from claims data. We gather the information from providers, which we check to make sure that it's accurate and information from patients and bring it together to show quality features. And any of your listeners, if you want to look at it, it's at treatmentatlas.org. 
That's so impressive, Gary. And I think that, you know, as, as a past health services researcher, as well as a participant in the healthcare system, whenever I have these, hear these stories about all the evidence is there, but it's not being delivered, um, that's just one of those, those, those stories that kind of makes you frustrated sometimes, make, makes you angry. And, and so I appreciate you kind of diving in and, and working kind of on the, the eight principles of care and the, and the consumer guide. And just think how basic that is, Bryce. It's just, this is not rocket science. One national standard of care, measure each treatment program in the United States, ultimately, how they're delivering on these and show it to consumers. And then the other part, which I know interested your organization as, as well as many others, is then we also take that, that information and put it in password protected portals, if you will, digital portals, where you can look at that information as a health insurer and see which treatment programs that you're insuring that are in your networks, how are they performing and which treatment programs that are not in your network are doing really well and, and give you the data to go reach out to them and see if they'll join your network. And all of that's going to improve the quality of care across this country. It's basically yeah, I, Adam I, Smith supply and demand. <laughs> well, I, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think that was the, the genesis between the, the partnership with the, with the state of California and this state is that really a rising tide lifts all boats. And, and if we're really here to improve the lives of those we serve, we have to get the information out there. Um, but I would like to pivot just a little bit and talk about one of your, one of your second pillars, particularly because it was so germane to, to your personal story. Um, and, and talk about the work you're doing on on stigma, uh, because I often think right, even even the best data, the best evidence, the best programs uh, can only take you so far if, if we continue to have this this view in America that that because you're suffering from substance use disorder, you're you're somehow broken, right? And 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 it's something shameful, and it's something that you know you need to hide from, right? Um, so I, I would love to hear, because I know that was one of your second pillars, about the research in that area and, and what you've actually been doing to, to address that stigma uh, right. and, and help people be okay with raising their hand and saying, I need help. Absolutely, Bryce. Thank you. I mean, the first question you, and, and, and I know not you, but others listening may ask, is if you're doing three big things, why does even stigma hit the top three, Right. So in a survey done uh, a few years ago, a national survey, about half of Americans said, we're, we answered, responded to the survey. This is a Gallup poll, real survey, scientifically done. About half said those with this disease, it's not their fault, it's a chronic illness. And half said those with this disease, it is their fault. They're not trying hard enough, poor character. But that is really, a lot of us focus on that, but it's really not that important, that 50-50 relationships, whether it's 50-50, 60-40, 80-20. What's really important is the next uh, statistic. 80% in those survey, which obviously had to include many who responded saying it's a chronic illness, said that I'm not comfortable associating with someone addicted as my friend, my coworker, my neighbor, or marrying into my family. I can, I can guarantee you that my son didn't read that survey or the 20 million Americans probably 
just about every one of them has not read my survey. But I can bet you that every one of them feel, feels it. They feel like if anyone knows that I'm addicted, they're not going to want to associate with me. And so because of that, many don't seek treatment. Because of that, many are afraid to even run it through their insurance or their employer might find out about it. And because of that, they can't afford to go to treatment. But instead of going through all the different layers, let's just go to the last layer, which is someone, their parents convince them or their family convinces them to go to treatment. They can afford it. They find a provider and they go to the, a provider, a treatment program in the country that's doing all the right things. And then they re-enter society where 80% of Americans want nothing to do with them. And then that person most often internalizes that and believes it. It's not that they, they start to believe that they're not worthy of having a nice job. They're not worthy of being someone's neighbor or friend or asking your neighbor's daughter out on a date. They just don't feel worthy of it. And they lose their self-esteem and their hope, which happened to my son, but not just my son. It's millions of, of loved ones. So stigma is important. So what are we doing about it? Um, what, that's why it's one of our top three pillars. And I also wanna make one other point before I give you a little feel for what we're doing, which is we always talk about lives saved or, or people dying. But how about, you know, if there's 200,000 people that died, that will die this year related to alcohol or drugs, what about the 10 million others that live subpar lives that don't die, they don't show up as a statistic as a death, but they live in shame or in feel inferior. That's another big statistic of millions and millions of our loved ones and family members. So what are we doing about it? We spent all of 2019 studying the literature, everything that Shatterproof does. It's not what I think. It's what does the literature, the research show. And the research shows we can absolutely reduce the stigma of addiction. We studied 11 national movements that have been successful. We've studied over 100 pieces of published literature, interviews with 50 experts who went through other social movements. And again, it's not rocket science. It's simply implementation. It's educating in a certain way. It's changing our language to different types of words that we use and it's changing policies. And I'll just give you one example of communicating in a certain way, right? What works is something called contact-based education with certain messages. It's not about putting a billboard with slogans or a poster or on social media. It is about contact, which means someone with lived experience who's doing well in recovery, tells their story in less than a couple minutes on a short video or in a paragraph with a couple paragraphs with a picture. And the story is something like, I am John Doe, I am Joe, I am Joe. I work at Walmart and I'm a store manager and I've been here 10 years, I've been promoted three times, I have a family, I have three kids, I coach Little League, I have family barbecues on the weekends in my neighborhood, and I'm addicted to heroin. 
but I've been successfully treated because people with this disease can be and are usually successfully treated. And this is what that type of person looks like. That message has been proven to change the perception of people who think about those addicted of yes, you can work with some with people who are addicted. You could be their neighbor. You could be their friend. Because most people, success, certainly if they're successfully properly treated, do well. And we, uh, we launched an initiative in the state of Pennsylvania to test this. We gathered 200 stories of people in recovery in this, who live in the state of Pennsylvania so people can relate to them. And we don't run expensive TV ads. We take that content and we develop relationships with 75 community organizations in the state. And we work with them on a monthly basis for them to distribute the content. We give it to them for free, the videos or the stories, and they get it out. And then we also work with local influencers, not someone in Hollywood with 10 million followers, but someone who lives in Pennsylvania, either in Philadelphia or out in the countryside of Philadelphia, but maybe a priest who has 10,000 followers or a local baker who has 5,000 followers that people follow. And we have relationships with dozens and dozens and dozens of influencers in the state and they share the content. And we just got the results and they're off the charts. Just give you a little example, a couple small examples. We reached 3 million people in the state of Pennsylvania in five and a half months. Those 3 million people me before the campaign started, 21% thought medication was effective to treat someone who's addicted to opioids. Five and a half months later, it was 43% of those 3 million people thought that. It doubled from 20% to 40% roughly. Would you be willing to have a, someone addicted as a neighbor? 3 million people changed their views from 38% to 52%. Look at the results. And since we've now had those results, the state of Pennsylvania extended it for three years. Kentucky, we had one presentation like this, but showing them the data. They're in, money set aside. We're doing, we're starting in Kentucky in two months. State of, state of um, uh, Colorado, we're starting in three months. And we're talking to several other states right now. Those are just incredible uh, results, which I congratulate you on. And, and what I'm particularly taken by in, in listening to you for the past 20 or so minutes is just a view of success, I think, which is based in, in really the head and being smart. You talked a lot about, about the evidence-based data and your evidence-based protocols, but also having such a big heart, right? And, and I think yours and Shatterproof's capacity to, to take all the data and put that in a way that really speaks to people, right? It resonates with people, like literally right here in the heart. Um, I think is, is critical to the success you're having and that you're going to have. Um, I would, I would like, uh, before we close to ask you a couple, a couple quick questions. Um, so the growth of shatterproof has been incredible. I think you mentioned 45% of Americans will very soon have access to, to the shatterproof tool. Um, and hopefully soon that'll be a hundred percent. Um, but, but aside from that, we're not quite there yet. Um, so I, w I would ask you for our listeners who, who may have family or friends or colleagues uh, struggling with substance use disorder, um, for those who, who may be struggling themselves or supporting loved ones with, with substance use or addiction, um, particularly with so many of us being at home these days during COVID, 
do you have any quick suggestions in terms of resources and tools, right, that, that people could turn to to help them on their path to recovery? Uh, absolutely, Bryce. Um, families can go to shatterproof.org, which is our website. There's navigation across the top. There's two sections in that navigation that can help families. One is find help, and the other one is learn. I would suggest that families go to both of those, and there's a lot of great information there. The other thing I can offer is for those who work in an organization, we, we have content that's been highly curated down to six lessons of five minutes each that offers both preventative information as well as information if you have a family member that could be struggling. It's called Just Five because it lessens five minutes each and it's built for employers, whether it's a nonprofit employer, whether it's the state, whether it's a city, a county, whether it's a for-profit, any for-profit business. And for anyone who is interested in that, um, they should just reach out to me at gmendel at shatterproof.org, or they could reach out to you and you can connect them to me and we can do a quick demo. Um, I mean, just some quick information results on that, right? We have pre and post surveys on that. It's all anonymous. We don't know who's responding to these, but people who take these lessons, you know, one question, do you feel comfortable helping someone who you think may have an issue with drugs or alcohol? It went from 40% to 80% pre and post. Um, I know ways to reduce the risk of addiction, which is preventative in my family as I'm, as I'm raising my children. It went from 54% to 84% because we have a preventative lesson in there. Really valuable content that we spent two years, $500,000 curating down to just the information families need, making it interactive with a, with a learning management system. And the last thing I would offer is um, if families want to engage and get involved, there's another section on our, on our on the navigation talk, uh, called Get Involved. There are ways to get involved. For those of your listeners who are in California, we had a big walk in LA where people got together. I say it's a walk, it's not about the walk. It's about love, it's about community, it's about bringing people together. And we're, we just decided yesterday, we're bringing it back in 2022. And anybody who goes to our website and gives their your email address and their zip code, they'll find out about it when it's coming back to California. Uh, Gary, that's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that with our with our listeners, I think that your, your capacity to not only shine the light, but, but offer concrete suggestions and tools and resources and a sense of community is, is, is so important. So if you don't mind, I'll ask you one, one closing question. Uh, sure. And it's kind of an impossible one because I'm going to ask you to synthesize basically everything, <laughs> everything you're doing in, in one question. But, uh, but there's obviously a lot to this topic that we, we've covered and might've gotten lost or we didn't get to, but, but for our listeners, if you had one thought or request for anyone listening to this podcast that, that you'd like to leave everybody with, what would it be? We can do this. This is not a disease that cannot be prevented or treated. The government has done their job in the sense they provided a lot of funding and the researchers have done their job and created a lot of great information. This is simply our country engaging and putting to work and implementing what we know. 
It's our job to get the resource shatterproof job and working with you, Blue Shield of California and others to build out this quality measurement system, this consumer guide to treatment, to use that information to find the right treatment program for your family if you need it, or for those like you to use that data to get the, make sure you have the best providers in your network, which I know you'll do, and that's why you, you, Blue Shield got involved. But engage in ways that you want, and we can do this. This is doable, 100% doable. Great, well, Gary, I, I don't think I could I could say it any better, um, but I just I just want to thank you for your for your time today. Uh, it, it's been a true true pleasure. It, it's been an emotional journey, um, but I'm, I'm very optimistic given given the the, the light you're shining here and, and what you're doing. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to to listen uh, and and learn more and hopefully find something that they can apply in their daily lives among their loved ones. I hope everybody walked away with the sense, just as just as Gary said, that it is a problem, but we have the evidence. And now, thanks to Shatterproof and others, we we have solutions. And now we just need to get them out to the world and have people be aware of them, feel comfortable accessing them. Um, and we can, you know, in a community spirit, move, move towards uh, healing together. I encourage everyone who's listened to this podcast to visit shatterproof.org, as Gary mentioned, to learn more about how to get involved and join the movement. And I encourage all of you who listen to join us next time as we bring a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders such as Gary, who are transforming healthcare. As always, uh, we try to get things as, as perfect as we can, but we always have room for improvement. We'd love to hear your feedback, share your comments, let us know your thoughts by writing a review on Apple Podcasts, and feel free to join the conversation on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, at Dosa Dialogue, or visit our website at dosadialogue.com. Gary, again, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for, for listening, and please stay healthy and stay engaged.